Well, we are in a series here called The Great I Am. The Great I Am. And we're walking through what Jesus Christ says about himself. As he reveals who he is, he says, I am the, and then he's filling in the blank. And we're seeing seven different statements of the I am's that we're walking through here in the Gospel of John. And uh, we've been walking through some huge power statements about his authority and his power and uh, what he does in this world. But uh, he's going to rock them with today's statement. And uh, it's a huge deal for the present and the future. And uh, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, we're going to be dealing with what those words mean and how they uh, affect us here on earth today. Like in what way and in what manner does this matter to me? So Lord, teach me what this means. Lord, help me to respond properly to you because of it. Teach me what this means and help me respond properly to you because of it, all right? I am the resurrection and the life. So turn with me, if you will, to John 11, starting in verse 17. John 11, starting in verse 17. And uh, first statement here, hand him every circumstance. God Almighty is sovereign and even the hardest earthly situations are under his full rule. Hand him every circumstance. God Almighty is sovereign, and even the hardest earthly situations are under his full rule. All right? He is in charge. And uh, man, if we're going to understand what's going on here, we need a little bit of the backdrop, so let's make sure we grasp some of the setup here, all right? There's two ladies, Mary and Martha, and they're sisters. They actually have a brother named Lazarus. And Mary and Martha have uh, a deep, close relationship with Jesus Christ. They're very different kinds of people, Mary and Martha, and we see that kind of lived out in different passages of Scripture and things they focus on and the values they have. But they're both sisters, they both love the Lord, and they're both trying to kind of walk and learn to be a follower of Him. Lazarus is one of Jesus' favorites. Like, he loves them, and he loves spending time with them. And this is a deep, important family to Jesus Christ, all right? Now, we have to remember times back then were rough and sickness was, um, it was difficult to battle. And it's not like you could go down to the neighborhood store and grab some penicillin to resolve the problem, right? And so there was a lot of times where sickness became life-threatening very quickly. And Lazarus got sick and they got pretty freaked out, quite frankly. They're like, this is looking bad. And they've seen Jesus and his authority and they've seen him do miracles. They're like, Here's the plan. Go get Jesus. Bring him in here. We've seen him do some healings and some miracles already. Let's get him in here and have him do a miracle right now. He loves Lazarus. Of course he's going to pour it on. Let's have him healed. And so they got to Jesus and they're like, hey, just so you know, Lazarus is sick. Jesus comment, this illness will not lead to death. This illness will not lead to death. Here's what they heard. Don't worry, he's not going to die. But we're going to see a few things in the story. And in fact, it starts out right off the top that while he said this illness will not lead to death, he was meaning something very different. And uh, they heard there will be no death tasted here. And what they needed to hear was will not lead to, as an end point, death. Okay? It's a big deal. And everybody say that's a big deal. See, sometimes we hear Jesus talk and we get all the wrong understanding out of it. And then we walk away and we think we understand. And then we get a little sideways. We're kind of bent with Jesus. We're like, hey man, you said. And uh, they missed the point. And as Lazarus got sicker and sicker, Lazarus ended up dying. Just within a couple of verses, he dies. Can you imagine what question would be on your mind? Hey, I thought you said this illness does not lead to... And yet, he died. What's going on? And what's up with that, Jesus? Right? That's where we're kind of picking the story up in verse 17. And uh, now, when Jesus came to the point where, to the place where Lazarus had died, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. He had already been in the tomb four days. Everybody just say, that's a long time. Dude, that's a long time. All right? He'd already been in the tomb four days. They didn't have the embalming techniques we have today. This was a bad moment. He showed up four 
days after he is already in the tomb. He had passed away and it had been four days going on of grieving. It says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. See, Bethany, where they were staying, was only a couple miles away. And so when they heard, when rumor ripped about Lazarus passing away, all of the friends and family that were Jewish from Jerusalem, it was only a couple mile walk. So they walked over and they kind of went to the visitation, if you will, right? That's our words today. They went to this kind of remembrance time and this sort of celebration of life and a longing of the person and missing them. And and they had a very specific process they walked through in this morning. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But they came from all over the place, specifically from Jerusalem, and they poured into the place. That meant there were a lot of people, all right? And so a lot of people had come from Jerusalem to Bethany, and they were hanging out there with Mary and Martha to console them concerning the brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. There's devastation in the home. They've lost Lazarus, and they are aching. And Martha, remember she's great at details. We see that in another story. And Martha is like, all right, Jesus is here. I'm going to go meet him. Time for me to talk to him a little bit. He said some words the last time, and I have a few things to say myself. And uh, I'm going out. And Mary's like, I got nothing in me. I'm staying right here. And Mary stayed there in the house in mourning. Martha went out to Jesus to meet him. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord. Man, if you're ever going to talk to Jesus, that's a good way to start. Right? And uh, she's coming up and she's like, I'm recognizing your authority. I'm recognizing that you're a great teacher. I'm recognizing you're in charge. And uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Blame. In fact, think of the things that she's saying in this statement. Uh, Lord, uh, you blew it. Right? Or how about this? Uh, Lord, um, you said that it wouldn't lead to, and yet he did. And, or how about this one? Uh, Lord, I think you have authority over healing people. I've seen that. I've seen miracles, and you can handle sickness, but you can't handle death. It's gone too far, and you missed your opportunity and your privilege. And, uh, Lord, what were you thinking? We got to you, and you could have gotten here. And Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I love the statement. But even now, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, she's like, I'm just telling you, I am devastated with what's going on, and I don't like what's happening, and I'm not clear about what's taking place, and you could have prevented. But even now, man, have you ever been in the middle of a devastating circumstance? Maybe you are right now, this week, right here. And the stuff you have to look at, and the monstrosity of the pain in it, and the heartache that comes from it, and... No greater words than but even now as we talk about our Savior. And all of God's people said, man, even now, those are your words. As you walk through your struggle with Christ, even now. What are the two words? Even now. now. Like no matter how bad it looks like it's gotten, even now, you can do something. You can make an impact. God, I can't wait to see you work. Lord, I can't wait to see you shape. And sometimes he'll change the circumstance. And sometimes he'll just walk you through the circumstance like you never thought possible. Lord, even now. Even now. And 
Martha's got her head screwed on straight in the midst of this grieving. She's looking at Jesus Christ and she's hoping. She's a bit devastated and not even sure what she's talking about. She's like, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Right? Can you imagine hearing those words? Your brother will rise again. And we all kind of reading this and kind of knowing ahead and the title of the series and what we're talking about today. And we kind of know what this might mean. And she didn't. She didn't know what it meant. And he's like, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Man, if you're ever in a spot where you feel you really need to correct Jesus a lot, like it probably is time to pull back and go, what am I missing? Right? And she's like, okay, Mr. Theology, I know what the theology is about the resurrection in the end time, okay? Lighten up on it. It's just a little bit of grieving time. I miss my brother and it's okay. And uh, like starting to try to school Jesus a little bit, right? And uh, yes, Jesus, I know and understand about the resurrection. And I know that he will rise again on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Right? She just got done saying what she believes. I believe in the resurrection in the last day. And he's like, yeah? I have a different question about what you believe in. And uh, she's like, I know he'll be resurrected on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I, it doesn't say it in my Bible. It may not say it in yours, but I'm pretty sure he actually started with, no, dude. I'm pretty sure. There's some kind of massive correction like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I am the resurrection and the life. You're talking about the resurrection like the one that's coming later in the end times. You are looking at the resurrection. You're talking about some event. I am talking about the living person of God Almighty and he's right in your presence I am talking about a hope, not just for eternity. I am talking about a hope today, right here. I am the resurrection and the life. And he's like, hey, speaking of that eternity thing, let's talk a little bit about how that comes down. You're talking about a resurrection that lasts for all eternity. I'm the solution to that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What? Though he die, yet shall he live. What is he talking about? Though he die physically, yet shall he live spiritually. Right? We always have to make sure we're understanding the context he's talking in. Though he die physically, yet there can be eternal spiritual life. Belief in me. Remember, we've heard Jesus say this several times over. Come and believe. Come and believe. He's like, whoever believes in me shall never die. And uh, it's a huge deal. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Man, this statement is massive. And in fact, the word lives there. Remember, we talked last week about a couple different phrases for the word life. And this one has the word zoe built into the middle of it. Whoever lives, like whoever has eternal life in me, believing in me and believes shall never die. There will not be eternal spiritual death. There will be eternal spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, and we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have a possibility of eternity with him and without him. And it is eternal death, hell, pain, separation, and belief in him brings absolute joy and certainty and life in Jesus Christ. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like I'm just telling you, I restore. I'm telling you, I bring the eternal life. It is my eternal life that is the light of the world and I will share that life out and you can taste of that eternal life through me. That's Jesus Christ's statement.
I am the resurrection and the life. Notice he does not say, I have resurrection and life. He does not say, I will resurrect and have life. He's saying, I am it, man. It is right here. This is where you stop with me. I am the resurrection and the life. And uh, he says to her, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And uh, I love this statement. Do you believe this? Uh Uh-huh. Right? And then you're like, I'm going to give you a little more. I'm going to tell you what I believe so you understand the whole of what I think of you. And I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah. This is the word used for the chosen one, the anointed one from Old Testament prophecy who is the solution for Israel and for all mankind. And they weren't sure how. They didn't quite get what it meant, but they knew he was the answer. And she's like, you, you're the, you're the anointed one. And, uh, and you're the son of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. She was barely beginning to grasp what she was saying, but she was getting it and she was coming along. And she says, who is coming into the world? Like, here you are. You're right here with us and you're revealing yourself right now and I'm seeing who you are and I believe. And uh, yes, Lord, I believe. And, uh, it's a huge deal. And, uh, and if we're gonna grasp what she's experiencing right in that moment, we need to understand a little bit of what Jesus is doing in the moment. Like why is it that Jesus allowed Lazarus to die? Don't we love asking that kind of question? We're, we're like experts of the why question. But, but, but why, God, are you, right? And then we fill in the blank with our circumstance. And uh, that's where Martha's at. She's in the why moment. And she's not getting it. And uh, Jesus sort of tipped his hand to some of the disciples that were around, if you look back in the passage. So let's just jump back for a little bit of an illustrate on this. Let's make sure we grasp it. Look at verse 4. In chapter 11, it says, when Jesus heard that he was sick, this illness does not lead to death, is what he says. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus is like, I know something about this sickness you don't know. We're going to bring some serious glory. Hang on. Can you imagine standing next to him? You're like one of the disciples. You know, you're one of the guys who backs him, right? And he's like, This illness will not lead to death. It will bring glory to the Father and to the Son. And you're standing beside him and you're like, all right, I don't have any idea what that means, right? And you got to nod your head like you're clued in a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, right? And John didn't get what he was doing at all until later when he had to write. And then he's like, yeah, here's a few things he said and did. And he grasped it a little better. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. What? (laughs) He loved him. So he stayed two days longer. What is that talking about? I love the word so there. It's connecting it together and saying with purpose statement, my love is causing me to hang on. Hear this. This is not fun for us to hear when we're in a circumstance that's tough, but my love is walking in you into a darker circumstance so that you can see me more clearly as the light. That's my love. I'm going to reveal to you something about me that you may not have even been able to grasp. It said, so when he heard that Lazarus was really stayed two days longer in that place, then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea. If you jump down to verse 14 now, he's trying to tell them that Lazarus has passed away. He said he's fallen asleep. They're like, then why are we hurrying? Like if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. Lighten up, Jesus. I'm telling you, every time you feel you need to correct Jesus, just check yourself, man. You're missing it. He's got it, Okay. And they're not getting it. They're missing out on what's taking place. And so it says, then Jesus told him plainly, verse 14, Lazarus has died. Can you imagine that moment? 
He's like, look, he's fallen asleep. He's in a metaphor, right? He's fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. They're like, oh, well, if he's asleep, let him sleep. He's sick. He'll wake up. He's like, no, guys, we need to go. Why do we need to go if he's just, Lazarus has died. Clear enough, right? He's like, I'm just going to bring out the full clarity of this. Lazarus has died. You're missing what I'm saying. They're like, oh. Wouldn't you think right now that one of the elements that hit them was, but you said this would not lead to death, right? Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Let this process, for those of you that are in heartache, even right now, hear these words. I was glad that I'm not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. I am going to walk you through something that is going to reveal the massiveness of who I am. And man, we have to understand that God's role in this universe, his process as he walks with us is to walk us through some of the lowest of lows. Hear me, he walks with us through that. To walk us through some of the lowest of lows that he might reveal character of himself that we could have never seen otherwise. That's what he's doing in this broken world. How does he use this broken world? One circumstance at a time, he puts his glory on display. Even now. Trust and lean on him. Jesus Christ doing a huge work. All right? Simple question. What are you wrestling with? What is it that's got you shaken up hard? What has hurt so deeply you almost can't think straight? What brings you to weeping? He's fully aware. And he's invested in. And he's looking to put himself fully known to you. Are you ready to meet him and know him? Are you ready to meet and know the one who has purpose even now? Man, in the midst of the toughest circumstances, what are the two words we must say? Even now. My God's got this, and I can know him deeply. And all of God's people said, point number two, hand him your hurt. Jesus, our great God, has overwhelming compassion for our hurt in this broken world. Don't just hand him the circumstance. Hand him your hurt. Jesus, our great God, has overwhelming compassion for our hurt in this broken world. He starts out now in verse 28. Remember, Martha had just heard all that Jesus is. She claims she believes. She understands he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus and Martha have a little bit more talk, and now she bolts out of there. It says, verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. The teacher is here. He's calling for you. In the midst of your heartache, the teacher is here. And he's calling for you. And he wants to have this depth of private moment between you and him that you cannot imagine. The teacher is here. And he's calling for you. Come to him. And uh, what's Mary's response? When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. How did she rise? Quickly. Man, if you are struggling right now, if something has you devastated, if you are hearing these words, quickly get to the feet of Jesus Christ. Quickly, with all you've got, get there. He's about ready to reveal in an amazing way. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her, with Mary, in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. All right, what is going on with this? 
And we just need to understand a little bit of the culture of mourning, okay? So here's Jewish mourning, all right? Mourning went on for seven days, the weeping and the crying, seven days of mourning. That was the plan. From the moment the person passed away, for the next seven days, mourning would go on, okay? There would be a grieving, a certain style of dress, a wailing, a weeping that would go on. The many would all come together. We do like a visitation around here, right? And the visitation would be on a given day for a given period of time to come and see them, to cry with them, to give your condolences, to pray with them, to just let them know you care, right? That lasts uh, handfuls of hours here with the broader community. The family might be more long-term, but the, the broader community, just kind of a few hours. In the Jewish culture, seven days. Seven days. For those of you who are more Americanized, you're like, in my house for seven days? Seven days, man. In the house, all around, with you. Seven days, okay? And uh, it's a huge deal whether weeping and crying. Here's the other thing. They wanted to make sure there was huge declaration of the value of the person and that they were missed. So professional wailers were brought in. People who whined or moaned or wept and may have even been paid to do it. They were there to bring some level of support and they would be there for days and their job was to weep with those who weep. And so as they wept, your job was to stand up with them and wail out loud, oh Lord, and weep with them. Some crying out were feeling the depths of that and others crying out were trying to fulfill a job. Just keep that in mind. We'll talk about that in just a second somewhere else, okay? And uh, this morning, during the first three days, there was no meat, no wine, and uh, no shoes on the feet. There's a number of different things they went through until the body was taken out of the house. That usually happened in the first day, and it looks like that's kind of what happened here if you kind of parse together the timing on it, okay? And they would then take them over to wherever they were going to be buried, a tomb or a grave, When the body was removed, all the furniture in the house was turned backwards and shoved up against the wall. No comfort in this home. We are mourning. You sat on the floor or you sat on stools or you stood and you declared your pain in this season. Seven days of mourning. First three to four were typically without shoes, no business done, no anointing and no washing. Keep that in mind, the first three to four days. Now you go back to the time of Lazarus. He passed away. They put him in the tomb. Jesus held for several extra days. We started in verse 17. When he came, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. So the people had just started to begin to move around. The locked up where you're at, just mourn and wail at the house. Get them to the tomb and come back to the house. That's just ending. So as Mary stands up and bolts out, they're like, she's going back to the tomb. We're on days four through seven of the morning and we're gonna go with her and weep with her. And some of her dearest friends coming with and putting arm around and holding her and coming with her to wherever she goes. And wherever you go, I'm gonna go and cry with you. I'm here with you in this. Weeping with them, caring for them. That's what's going on as they grasped that Mary was up and moving fast. They thought, well, maybe she's going to weep at the tomb. We'll go there and weep with her. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And a great model of worship and humility. She fell at his feet. See how often when we're in struggle, do we actually approach him defiantly? Standing up, almost pointing a finger, what are you thinking about, Jesus? Come on now! And that we're missing what's going on. And Mary comes and falls at his feet and shares a very real question. Tell me if you've heard it before. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you heard that question before? Right? And the sisters have talked. You know what I'm saying? And after the end of this death and Lazarus put in the tomb and they're walking back and the tears and the streaming and the, why would he not come if he had been here? And the sentence was practiced 
And they quoted it off, each of them challenging. Martha followed it with, but even now. Look at Mary. When Mary came, she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And she wept. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved. Mary had no other words. She's brought to the end of herself as she's on her knees before him, weeping and crying out, struggling in pain and heartache. And it says, and Jesus saw them weeping and was deeply moved, is what the ESV says. Some of your translation says, and he was indignant. Okay? This language here, deeply moved, we have to be really careful with the word. It literally means to have well up within you a sense of anger. It literally means that. So indignant is not far off. Deeply moved, very accurate as well. But we have to make sure we capture that there is a, an, there is a frustration and an anger going on in this. It does not say what the object of his anger is. And so there are many books written on what he was deeply moved by. And I'm going to write mine for you now right here. I'm going to give you my thoughts on what he's deeply moved by, and let's just walk through it real carefully, all right? It says he is deeply moved. Um, some would say he is angry that there are people in the crowd who are not believing in him. Some would say that. The thing is, is when Jesus is angry about something, he makes it pretty clear what he wants done. And the next words he says are not, you need to believe in me. How many times have I told you, or you're going to see me on, like he doesn't make those statements to them. And I think it's a big deal that he's not confronting someone in their sinful, rebellious refusal to believe. I think there's a miss on that. And I think that's trying to see the anger more than it's seeing what's going to happen next with his tenderness. And uh, some would say that. Others would say he's upset with the hypocrites in the crowd. Remember I told you there's fake mourners that are a part of it. And he's like, you're not really whining. I'm, I'm hurting, they're hurting, we're hurting, but you're, and um, I'll just say it doesn't say that, and he doesn't address it. And so I'd be a little careful with that. I'm going to be more apt to connect it to what comes next and say that's what the center of all this is about. And it says that he's deeply moved and a troubled within, greatly troubled inside, right? And uh, so I wrote this down, more likely, question. Have you ever been to a funeral? Utterly tragic, shock, the loss in the moment, and nobody saw it coming. Maybe it's even of a younger one where it's a little one, a child. Devastation in that room. There is not laughter. This, this is not celebration. This is heartache to the deepest core. And that's what's going on here. And as you walk into those environments, I know myself, our pastoral staff, we've been a part of these over the last years. Man, our heart breaks in those moments as we walk into an environment where people are devastated and hurting and lost in this broken world. And hear me, man, we're hurting with you. And I think that's exactly what Jesus Christ has going on here. And as he stands in the middle of this hurt and he's fully aware of what's going on. Remember, he just said a number of verses ago what the whole purpose was gonna be. But he sees in them the depth of hurt and pain from this broken world. He sees the hurt and devastation of this broken world as it touches them. And what wells up within you is a sorrow and a compassion for the one hurting. And at the same time, man, it just shouldn't be. You want to scream those words out? It just shouldn't be like this. And Hear me, theologically, we are all guilty of sin, and all of God's people said, and if you didn't say amen, join us, and all of God's people said, amen. we are all guilty of sin.
And sin has a high cost. It has broken this world and death is a part of the cost. And so as we as human beings cry out, it shouldn't be. Well, Theologically, actually, it's appropriate. And yet there's a sense of what's built into us that this wasn't the original design. It shouldn't be. How much more when you're the creator of the universe and you've come for sin and death. And he is looking into the eyes of those he loves and he is welling up with hurt and he sees the cost of sin and pain and heartache and death in front of him. And he knows this one fact, I am here for this cause. This is what I will go to the cross for. Man, there is nothing that says it in the scripture, but I got to believe it is this welling up within him as he says, I am here to take this on and it will be done. And this deeply moved within him, God of the universe. Yes, having this sense of focus on what matters, so compassionate at the same time says, Where have you laid him? Notice what he's getting to. I will weep with those who weep. And I will long for my friend. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. They took him to the tomb, right? Shortest verse in all of scripture. Jesus wept. Man, don't ever lose sight of this. Jesus wept in the presence of his creation, hurting alongside of them, longing for this war to be done and feeling what they feel, emoting with her, with Mary. Jesus wept. And what are you going through? the shortest and maybe one of the greatest scriptures in all the Bible for you. Jesus weeps with you as you weep. He knows what's going on. He's sovereign. Why would he weep? We see it right here in this story. He knows exactly what's going on and he knows exactly how it's going to play out. And his heart is moved for the heartache of those there suffering in this broken world. Jesus loves you and he weeps with you when you weep. And as you are going through your tough moment, know this, you have a high priest and he knows you and loves you and he's tasted of the brokenness of this world and he is right here with you in it. And all of God's people said, don't miss it, man. He wept with her and he hurt with her. And he longed with her. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? The weeping for Lazarus and for those around. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also opened the one, keep the one from dying? Nice. You got to love it, man. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of unbelief in that crowd, but there's a lot of belief in that crowd. And Jesus Christ is revealing his tenderness, not just his power. Are you hearing me on that? Your God loves you. And in the midst of your circumstance, he wants to reveal his tenderness, not just his power. He weeps with you. Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit groaning on your behalf. The Godhead is with you and groaning with you. And as you are feeling what you're feeling and devastated and what you're in devastated with, maybe even without words as Romans 8 says, and you are wordless before God, and all you've got is, <laughs> ah! He is there with you in that. 
And he is weeping with you in that. And they are doing a work as the Godhead that we cannot even imagine. He has not left you alone. He is right here with you. Do not lose it. Your God loves you with all he's got. He weeps with those who weep. And he mourns with those who mourn. Hear me. The satanic response to death is laughter and mockery. The divine response to death is weeping and sorrow and indignation. And it will be dealt with. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right. Let's just lighten it up a little bit here. Take a deep breath together. So, um, my daughter Megan is a sophomore at Taylor University, finishing up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, Megan loves it at Taylor. It's gone great. Christian school, and uh, she's learning a ton, graphic design, having a blast. And uh, this was a good year. We readjusted some things, slowed it down a little so she could really focus. And, and uh, she's just been having a blast learning and growing. We got a call back in September Uh, I think it was September, somewhere in there in the fall. And she said, "Uh, you guys wouldn't believe this. You know Alyssa's bike that I brought to school? We're like, yeah. She's like, somebody stole it. Okay, what kind of Christian campus? (laughs) You know? And I'm like, are you serious? Someone on campus stole your bike? And she's like, well, I can't say someone on campus. I'm like, nice. Good try. Way to salvage it, right? She's like, well, you never know. I mean, somebody could have come on campus. The bikes are just kind of strewn around. And, you know, they did actually have to undo the lock and get it and uh, take it. So it was pretty intentional. And I'm like, how do they know your combination? That's a whole nother talk. And uh, so somehow they got the bike undone. Like they must have just cut the lock or something, right? I just shocked by that. And we kind of let it go. And she's, you know, like, well, what do I do about a bike? And I'm like, looks like you walk. (laughs) <laughs> I'm buying a bike again, man. Have a good walk. And uh, so we end up getting a text this past week. You guys won't believe this. I was walking home from campus and I saw my bike. I saw my bike. It was right next to a dorm there. And I'm like, so it was one of the kids on campus. All right, nice dad. That's all. That's my thing. All right, so who is it that took it? Let's find him. Let's let's go have a chat. You know, it's one of those things. And uh, was a him. We know that it was in front of a guy's dorm. And so, bottom line, she comes up and she's like, "That's my bike." And I'm like, "Are you sure it was your bike?" And she's like, "I'm positive." I'm like, "How do you know it was your bike, honey?" And she's like, "I undid the combination, and the lock opened up." I'm like, "You're kidding me, right?" So what did you do? So she sends us a text. I took it back! (laughs) You gotta love it. I'm not sure if that's a good pastor's daughter moment or what, but... (laughs) That's my bike! You're taking my bike? I took it back! I'm like, did you change the combination? I don't know how. Oh, great. (laughs) Right. Let's make sure we get that fixed, right? Bottom line... Hey man, has your hope been taken hostage? Man, it is time to take it back. I'm telling you, we serve the God of the universe and he has it in hand. He has come to put death and sin in its place. He walks us through some of the hardest circumstances that exist with purpose. Everybody say with purpose. With purpose. He is revealing himself one degree of glory at a time. Lord, reveal to me who you are. Change me, shape me with hope. I am ready to trust in you. Even now, right here, I hand you my circumstances and I hand you my hurt and I'm trusting you in the midst of tears. That's how we suffer well and trust him, all right? Simple question. 
So has your hope been hijacked? Are you looking at this world and thinking it's all up to you and you have to get it done? Man, it's time to let Jesus Christ do his thing. And uh, are you ready to take it back and place it properly trusted in Jesus Christ and watch him work? Set it on him. All right, let's walk through this last piece again here now. Third point. Here we go. Hand him your heart. Jesus, our great God, has power over life and death. In fact, he, has, he is the resurrection and the life. Hand him your heart. Not just the circumstance, not just the hurt, but hand him your heart. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Here, we, here, here is that welling up again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. That means actually a little bit more of a wealthy burial, okay? Because the, the cave and the stone were used. And uh, so he came to it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, remember, she's the one who said, God, why couldn't you have? But even now, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to the Lord, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And uh, again, correcting Jesus is not always the best plan, right? And, and Lord, do you know what you're thinking about? And faith being a little bit wobbly right now. And uh, Lord, I'm not sure that's a good idea. And, and uh, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Look at the next sentence. So they took away the stone. I love that moment. Jesus is like, glory of God, people. And they're like, got it. Stone moving away. Glory coming. Look out. Not sure what we're going to see. Heads up. And a uh, little bit of hope going on. They took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Be careful with this moment. Some people have written whole books on this that Jesus is like fake praying here just to kind of give them some theology. Not a good statement. He, he himself, God the Father, God the Son, interacting together in private prayer, and he decides to enunciate it out loud that all around get, this is God the Father and God the Son working it together. Full out verbal prayer to align with what was going on in his heart, complete unity between God the Father and God the Son. Like, Father, I know you're answering my prayer. I got that, but I'm saying it out loud so they understand it's you and me here. God the Father, God the Son working this thing out. When he had said these things, he cried out. Just so you know, that word literally means he made the volume of a crowd of people rising up. That's what it means. It means he was like the loudness of a crowd screaming forth. He cried out. So don't lose sight of what's going on. He has felt this deep, moving hurt underneath, this weeping with, this compassion for, this mercy on, and it has caused him to begin to hurt with and tremble. He has felt the indignation rise up against sin he has declared out in himself, this is why I'm here. This will so be dealt with. So hurting on this situation. And, and then it says what he said. And man, if we are too light here, we blow the whole story. As he's welling up within. And in that moment, he cries out. Lazarus! Come out! And the whole place had to be like, he's praying before it, and all of a sudden that volume comes, right? They're sitting there, and all of a sudden, like, oh, right? It jars you. And they're like, come out? What's he talking about? He has declared to the depths of all death, you're done! And I rule here! Come out! you've ever lost a loved one, you know the power of that sentence. And the hurt of not hearing that for your fam. 
and I'm there with you. And I know that pain. And I love that God has walked this family through something and allows us to be able to see who he is that we may believe nonetheless. And all of God's people said, as he calls him out, I love the next sentence. And the man who died came out. Like, that's it. There's no major exclamation point. There's no big deal. The big deal is not about Lazarus. The big deal is Jesus and his authority and his feelings and his emotions and his power and his declaration. And the man came out. And so when we read it, and the man came out, we just kind of take it stoically. I'm just going to tell you that when this story was read by a missionary overseas in Africa, and he was walking through the story, he got to, Lazarus, come out! And they all just were wide-eyed. He then said, the man who died came out. And the missionary's statement is, the entire tribe stood up and started dancing. <laughs> Woo! He has power over life. He is the resurrection and the life. And, um, and so that's what we're going to do here. No, we won't do that. <laughs> but man, we better catch the power of it. And the man who died came out and our proper response is shot. <gasps> And the man who died came out. And what is our proper response? All right. And applause is great. I'm good with it. Here we go. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. Amen. Amen. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus very matter-of-factly says right after it, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him, let him go. Notice what the next verse says. And many believed. Do you? Are you in with Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him as the almighty king, the resurrection and the life? He is our God. Let's pray.